Vincent Sabonis two-man game inside. Domas, dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal! They can tie it with a three! Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the desert! Welcome back to another episode of the King's Wolf Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today... It is going to be just myself uh, still hanging out in Golden 1 Center pretty late here after the Kings beat the Memphis Grizzlies, the second seed in the Western Conference, albeit no John Morant, no Steven Adams. Um, but, you know, you only can play who's in front of you. And Sacramento came in here and took care of business, and we've seen them not take care of business even when teams are missing some of their best players we just saw this against the philadelphia 76ers uh no joel Embiid, no james harden the kings got bullied and that was something that coach brown talked about a lot um just the lack of physicality and the rebounding was a clear issue against the philadelphia 76ers it was important to come out today and you know just not necessarily make a statement but just not let that happen again make sure that the that was clearly a point of emphasis and make sure that does not happen again. Specifically when you thought that maybe Steven Adams could be a part of it and he put up a just absurd amount of rebounds the last time these teams went against each other, specifically on the offensive glass um, tonight. When you look at the rebounding battle for the Kings, 21 to 42 defensive rebounds, um, 31 both teams had 10 offensive rebounds, so 31 for Memphis. Total rebounds, 42 for, oh, I'm sorry, 52 to 31 rebounding advantage for the Sacramento Kings tonight. So I'd say they took care of what they needed to there. Um, fair warning, today's episode is going to have a lot of quotes, a lot of audio clips from the post-game press conferences. I, I thought that there were just a lot of notable things. Typically, that's kind of not my style. But I, I thought that there was just a lot of very notable things in postgame. Um, I love talking to Coach Brown, hearing from Coach Brown. And I, I think he's not afraid to tell it like it is, the good and the bad. And he's very insightful. So I'd like to kind of share that with you guys. So fair warning, today is going to be a little bit quote heavy. But I, I think hearing it from the from the guys that are directly involved uh, coaching staff, players on this team is is important to kind of get their perspective rather than just hearing my voice over and over. And let's just start with saying, and, and by the way, we're going to hear from Coach Brown, we're going to hear from Trey Lyles, we're going to hear from Keegan Murray. That's who we got post game today. Um, anybody listening on the audio side, I always forget to say this at the beginning, podcast also available on YouTube. We are going live here and that's the plan after every home game. So shout out to everybody that is in the chat here. If anybody wants to throw comments my way, um, as long as you don't take me too off topic, I will I will definitely be responding to them and pulling them up here. But podcast is always available in video version on YouTube as well. So definitely feel free to check that out. And anybody on the YouTube side, obviously it's available in all audio forms on or on all audio platforms, major listening platforms as well. Um, but today was just kind of one of the more weird games that I feel like I've I've witnessed. The Kings came out and tied an NBA record 12 made threes in a single quarter. And that was the first quarter. Harrison Barnes was was a huge part of that. Harrison Barnes in the first quarter had 15 points, five of six from three. 
Keegan Murray, three of three from beyond the arc. Those two guys were just wet from downtown. Trey Lyles, two of two. Malik hit one. Davion hit one. Uh, the rim was huge tonight in that first quarter. And it was actually something that they talked about uh, that, you know, that Memphis is a team that really likes to pack the paint. So if they make the right spray passes and get the ball up the court, Trey pretty much said post game, Trey Lyles, that it's easy to knock them down when it's on time and on target. And he felt like that's what was going on with a lot of the passes tonight. Um, what's up, everybody in here? Really appreciate all of y'all hopping in. Um, yeah, this game was so weird, man, because after that first quarter where the Kings are leading 47-33, which, by the way, when you score 47 points in a quarter, maybe I'm nitpicking, but you should probably be up by more than 14 points. I mean, 14's fine. Um, that is me nitpicking because they, they had a really good stretch at the end of that first quarter that allowed that number to be a little bit bigger. It, it, it just felt like they weren't running away with it quite at the beginning like they should, and that really reared its head in that second quarter. You know, Kings only scored 19 points. They had nine turnovers in that second quarter alone. This is a game that the Kings won by 33 points, and they had a season-high 25 uh, turnovers for 23 Memphis points. 25 turnovers and winning by 33 is borderline unheard of in the NBA. Um, but they were able to get some stops when it counted. And it's really like that was the ugly quarter. The third quarter was, was neck and neck, 34-29 advantage for the Kings. And then that fourth quarter, man, they held the Memphis Grizzlies to 10 points in the fourth quarter. Like that is a huge sign of growth for the Sacramento Kings team. I can't tell you how many times throughout the course of these last few games that we've seen them just have a dominant quarter. And it's almost like you are just waiting for it to happen. Um, at least that's how I felt going into the Philly game, and obviously it didn't happen, but it did happen again tonight, where if they are able to lock up that they really, I mean, obviously that we know that this team can score with the best of them. And so when they're able to get stops, get out in transition, coach said he feels like they can run any team off the floor with how fast they are. And I, I think that we saw that tonight. Um, plan tonight is to cover a couple different topics that I felt like were big takeaways. Um, first of all, let's start with coach really complimenting De'Aaron Fox post game in this one. And Mr. Matt George, you got to turn that one on. You got to turn that one on. I did turn it on. Oh, did you? Oh, this is me. Unbelievable. There we go. Matt George hopping in here. Trying to silence me. Um, I was really meant to bomb this, but I don't know how this happened. You're fine. You can leave whenever, but I have another mic set up. I I appreciate people stopping by. Um, I was just starting with De'Aaron Fox. That's what Coach started with, just setting the tone defensively I mean I thought that Trey Lyles to me was the obvious pick for defensive player of the game but De'Aaron Fox was was well deserving as well um just what have you seen from De'Aaron recently and specifically like how much he's adapted and kind of embraced Mike Brown 
Well, first off, I, I agree with you 100%. I thought it was going to be Trey Lyles. But the stat line that he had, I mean, th- the three blocks, the two steals, the being a part of the second unit that I thought really changed this game. Now, De'Aaron was also on the floor for a lot of that game changing with his defense, too. He finished with four steals. So he definitely deserves it. I'm not saying that. I was surprised just uh, as you were. But I think De'Aaron has really shown an ability to be extremely coachable. And by that, I mean... Like we've heard Mike Brown talk a lot about defending with his chest. Well, De'Aaron is defending with his chest and cutting off lanes. Now, sometimes for some reason he's being called for fouls when he's doing that, which he shouldn't. Um, but De'Aaron has clearly bought in on both sides of the floor, but especially defensively to what's being asked of him. So that's number one. Um, to me, and I, I this kind of drifts a little bit of away from your question, but what I was most fired up to hear Mike Brown talk about was Fox's leadership tonight that he turned the huddle over to De'Aaron and De'Aaron not just called plays, but started telling everybody what they need to do. Um, and leadership is something that we've talked a lot about with De'Aaron Fox, right? A lot. Like we talk about is De'Aaron that leader? Can he be the leader of a good team? Well, here he is on a night where he scores 17 points, drops 10 assists is definitely in the background of what the Kings are doing, right? But does the little things to get his team's recognition. And then we find out after the game that he's doing something that nobody really knows about, which is him in a huddle. Right. That's not stuff he usually gets credit for. That's not something he, that he's always really been a lead by example guy. Exactly. And he's not seeking that kind of attention, like as, as your leader. And I think that also speaks to what DeMontis Sabonis does, where he can get a triple double. He can be the foundation of the Kings offense. But sometimes when it comes to the fourth quarter and winning time and Fox is on one or, uh, Harrison Barnes is on one, he gets out of the way. He gets them the ball and says, you do your thing and I'm here to help you. Like this is a selfless team. Uh, and I think De'Aaron is continuing to show that. So it's a combination of all that that's really impressed me about the season that he's having. Absolutely. And that quote that you mentioned, I have pulled here. Um, so I, I'm going to play that here. I'll let you go. I appreciate you stopping by. Matt friends. George, Locked gonna, On Kings podcast, ABC 10. I'm just going to bully you, but I mean, you're such a great show that I'm oh, part Yeah, I really appreciate you. All right. Here is uh, Coach Brown talking about what Matt was just hinting at. We got two different segments here from Coach Brown talking about deer. And uh, we'll start with what Coach said about De'Aaron unprovoked in his opening statement. A lot of great individual performances from our guys, but I really felt uh, Foxy set the tone for us towards the end of that third quarter and going into the fourth quarter with his defense. His defense was unbelievable. He had six, seven, eight deflections tonight. Um, he was extremely active. His ball pressure was fantastic. And being the head of the snake on that end of the floor – uh, really gets the rest of the guys going. And so, uh, he, he was, he was fun to watch. Not, not all uh, offensively. He was, he's always fun, but defensively, he was really fun to watch tonight. Uh, and his leadership too. Uh, he took over down the stretch, making the right calls. Uh, there the probably was in the second half, three or four times in the huddle. <clears throat> I went in and I just said, Foxy, what you want? And he took over the huddle and told guys what to run and where to go and all that other stuff. And when you start to get that consistently, uh, it's pretty good. Cut off a tiny bit at the end there, um, but that's the first bit from Coach here. We'll get to when he was asked to clarify a bit later in the presser here as well. What you were explaining about him talking in the huddle and explaining things to guys, what, how would you characterize his growth in, in those terms, and, and how how important is that to, to where you guys want to go? It's it's huge. You know, I 
I can't remember who told me this. I've had so many great mentors from, you know, Pop to Bernie Bickerstaff to Tim Gergovich. You know, on down the line, I know I'm missing a ton. Steve Kerr <clears throat> was great for me in the last six years. But when, when, when your players are speaking your language, especially your leaders in the locker room, in practice, in the huddles, and <clears throat> guys are responding to what they're saying, uh, that's when you know your team's heading the right direction. And so to see Fox take control of the game, not only with his defensive prowess that he, they showed or presence that he showed on the floor, not just with his scoring ability or his playmaking ability, but <clears throat> when he is putting guys in the right spot offensively, um, on the floor, uh, when he is telling the guys the right things in the huddle, uh, getting the ball to the right guys at the right time, uh, pre, and, and not just offensively, but doing those things while still, um, pushing his teammates to defend. That's, that's good. That's great. And, and that, that leads to them taking over this team and having ownership of this team. And you know how it is when you, when you have a group of people <clears throat> that have, ownership, complete ownership of a situation, they believe in it a whole hell of a lot more than when somebody's telling them all the time. And sometimes the person telling them, that's me, is not out there. So I don't have as great a feel as Foxy, you know. So it's great when it starts coming from them because now they're feeling it. They're going through it. They know it's working. It makes my job a lot easier because they can take control of any situation that we're in. Somebody in the chat said they could listen to Coach Brown talk all day. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I think that's just what kind of Matt was hinting at there. And, and you hear Coach Brown talk about is so important for this team. Like De'Aaron has always been a guy that leads by example. And I, I think that Coach is doing a great job of enabling him to to do more than that. And and have a have a louder voice in this team and and the other guys around him really see that like if you think about the best teams in the league and kind of the coach brown's point there it doesn't just come from the coach there's always players on these teams that are are great leaders and clearly agree with what the coaching staff is preaching and and echoing that on the floor and i think that we're seeing De'Aaron do that more so i think that we're seeing Sabonis do that obviously and for De'Aaron to have a big night like he did tonight defensive player of the game chain um i i think that was super important for the growth of this team and it's just going to be about consistency because i think we know that De'Aaron can do this i think even throughout the course of uh the last handful of years that he spent in sacramento it's been frustrating on the defensive end uh sometimes the fox experience because you you have these moments where he's good at it right i i think last year what stood out to me was the game here against the miami heat a uh, specific example that that sticks in my head where late in that game he took on the assignment of, of Jimmy Butler and did a great job. There was a game in New Orleans where he asked to check Brandon Ingram and did a decent job. And that's a, that's a size mismatch, you know? So I, I think that seeing this continued growth from De'Aaron is, is extremely important and, and such a good sign for not only De'Aaron, but this team. He continues to strengthen his, his all-star case. Um, clutch scoring, being there, but being clutch on the defensive end, more of a leader, and it sure as hell helps when when your team is winning games. And as of right now, the Kings just beat the number two seed in the West. Again, I know no John Morant, no Stephen Adams. Important to note that, but 
a win is a win. You only can play who's in front of you. 27 and 19 for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, totally rolling right now. They've won seven of their last eight games. And during that stretch, the Kings are first in offensive rating, 129.7, 11th in defensive rating at 114.0, 11th in defensive rating for the Sacramento Kings in an eight-game stretch is crazy, and first in defensive rating at plus 15.7, or I'm sorry, first in net rating at plus 15.7. Those are phenomenal numbers over this stretch. Of course, important to note, that you're talking about the Orlando Magic, the Houston Rockets twice, the San Antonio Spurs, the Lakers, OKC. Um, there is that Philly loss, and then this Memphis team as well. And in those Philly and Memphis games, without two of their best players in each of those, but you're taking care of business. I, I think there's a lot of times we've seen the Kings play down to their opponents throughout years prior, and maybe they were guilty of that a little bit in that Philadelphia game. But to come back the way that they did tonight, I, I thought was important, and um, De'Aaron's leadership was a huge part of that, that that coach made sure to point out. And I just wanted to make sure to start with that because I think there's some bigger takeaways in my mind that were more uh, maybe kind of changed my perspective on some of these people um, because I think that I thought that De'Aaron could be this guy, but just seeing that be proven and actualized and hopefully more consistent from here on out is is so important for for the uh, for the growth of this group. The next guy that I want to move on to continuing to talk about leadership is is Harrison Barnes. And Anthony Slater of The Athletic was the one kind of asking about this. He asked Keegan Murray postgame about the importance of Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray, especially just them. Keegan mentioned of especially just both of them being guys from Iowa. Um, they seem like they could have, I don't know if comparable personalities the right way, but it wouldn't surprise me if those two guys got along. And, and Keegan doesn't speak all too much. Uh, but definitely talked about how just just mentioned how important HB has been to him. But trade season approaching, they have a decision to make on Harrison Barnes. Obviously, he's he's been the, the conversation of every trade deadline since he's been in Sacramento. It feels like, and with how they're rolling right now, it feels hard to trade him. And these this quote from Mike Brown is pretty unmistakable saying that Keegan is irre- or that Harrison Martin is irreplaceable and has to be around. So you can hear it directly here from Coach Brown. And again, shout out Anthony Slater, who does a great job covering not only this team, but the Golden State Warriors for, for the athletic um, and always ask great questions. So here's Coach on, on just the importance of Harrison Barnes. And I thought this was probably the most telling or, or just biggest takeaway from tonight when it came to the postgame press conference. I, I hope you all don't mind too much of coach talking. Uh, somebody, like I said earlier, said they could listen to coach all day. So could I clearly by the amount of clips I'm going to put in this. But I thought this was a super important clip of coach talking about the importance of Harrison Barnes, not only on the court, but off the court. Get in a training camp when you walk. What, what's your uh, bigger picture view of what Harrison Barnes means to, to what you're trying to implement and do considering he's been in a winning environment before he plays every game and, and everything he does. HB is he's irreplaceable from the standpoint that he brings a, a, a calming presence to us no matter what the situation is. Uh, we, you know, our, our two uh, all-stars, Foxy and Domas, uh, are learning how to, to, to lead. 
and they haven't necessarily been in huge pressure moments in the NBA and come out on top. HB has. And so his his calmness, his presence in a tight ball game uh, is extremely helpful for young guys, not just short term, but long term, too, because they're watching an NBA champion um, go through uh, a one possession game and two minutes to go. We just had two turnovers. How is he reacting? Is he here? Is he here? You know. You know, what's he doing on the floor? How is he getting a great look at the end of a ball game? All these little things that he does helps our group grow and mature because that's what he is. He, he, not that we, not that the rest of the guys aren't grown ups, but he is the grown up of the grown up on our, of all the grown ups on our team. And so there's a lot on the floor and off the floor <clears throat> that he does that, that our younger guys j- just Continue to sit back and watch and learn and grow the right way. So he, he has to be around just with his mere presence alone. And then on top of that, he can play. We can play through him if we need to. We can throw him on this guy. We can throw him on that guy. We can throw him on a seven footer. We can throw him on a guy six six. So his versatility obviously is huge for us defensively as well. He has to be around. No mistaking that from, from Coach Brown. And HB is obviously important to this team, and I, I know that he has nights where he disappears. Like even if you want to look at tonight, to be honest, uh, not to say he fully disappeared tonight or anything, but he had 15 points in that first quarter, and then ends the game with 20. Like you know, on the floor, maybe there is some inconsistencies at times, but coaches talk so much about the inexperience of this team when it comes to high pressure situations and you saw you heard him mention it there like that there are two all-stars on this team De'Aaron Fox, Demonis Sabonis, all-star caliber players I guess I should say um, haven't really been in these high pressure situations and come out on top. HB has. HB's been a champion. He, this is, he talks of Della Vadova for the same reasons. This is why Coach Brown is so important and clearly why Harrison Barnes is so important. So man if HB's moved after all this, I'd be pretty shocked. Um, but we'll have to see. It's obviously one of Sacramento's biggest assets if they are trying to make a big swing. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how that all gets navigated. But Coach is, is making it very clear how, how he feels about Harrison Barnes and the importance of him on this team. And and it's apparent night in and night out. So And, of course, it goes beyond – like I. I mentioned I have some reservations at times with his on-court production being a bit inconsistent in my mind, but off the court, there's so much value there that I think can't be understated. And Keegan Murray, like I said, is somebody that talked about that. And I think the growth that we're seeing from Keegan Murray right now is is one of the bigger storylines. By the way, Harrison Martin's not washed for what it's worth. Not washed. Um so I, I think that Keegan Murray talked about the importance of Harrison Barnes to him. And I think the growth we're seeing right now is is huge. It's just about being comfortable. You know, last I had checked, and this has probably changed over these last few games, but Keegan Murray, about 73% of his shots were off zero dribbles. And that's where, like, 
you know, I was hesitant or questioning, like, what is the ceiling here? And coach has challenged him. You know, what do you do if you're not knocking down threes? Spacing the floor is not an answer. That still is within the realm of three-point shooting. Um, there's talk about rebounding. Keegan Murray has been rebounding the heck out of the ball as of late. January, Keegan Murray is averaging four in the 12 games that Keegan Murray has played in January that the Kings are 8-4. and four. He's put up 14.4 points, 5.8 rebounds on 52% from the field, 51% from three on 6.3 attempts per game, and 93% from the free throw line, just over one a game. So take that small sample for what you will there. Um, but the field goal is not a small sample, 9.6, three-point, like I mentioned, the 51% from three on 6.3 a game. Keegan looks so comfortable, man. and. He's putting the ball on the floor. He's finishing around the rim. He's not doing all this double clutching anymore. Uh, he's had a couple dunks. I don't know about on people, but around people, which I, I think is big. And there, there's blocks. Um, and, and blocks aren't everything coach always talks about. He doesn't really care about blocks. It's just more about deterring shots. But obviously getting your hand on one is, is the best way to uh, make sure that happens. But if you're swatting, sometimes you're going to get fouls and things like that. Um, but I, I think that Keegan Murray's been rotating so much better. You've been seeing him drawing charges. Um, and he's just a long guy. Pause. But 6'8", I, I think, is is huge. And for him to have the movement shooting he does, like that elite skill, I don't mean to downplay, but there needs to be more than that. And we've seen that. So I'm going to start with, uh, I, I got to ask Keegan post game today, just how much more comfortable does he feel? Because I think there's an adjustment to the NBA that we're clearly seeing. And uh, here you can hear Keegan Murray himself talk about how much more comfortable he is. Yeah, Keegan, you look a lot more comfortable out there, like putting the ball on the floor offensively, rotating defensively. Like, How much more accustomed do you feel to the NBA at this point? Yeah, I mean, we play games. We play a lot of games. Um, so, I mean, at some point you got to get more comfortable. And um, it took me a while um, to get this spot where I'm at right now. So um, just keep my confidence high and know that um, the guys support me um, whatever shot I take. So just finding a rhythm in each game because uh, each game is going to be different. Um, and so I just try to find that and uh, see how that goes. Keegan Murray, man, a few words, but uh, just get to hear him confirm that he is feeling more comfortable and he's played, he played 66 games during his two seasons at Iowa. That's not each year. That's total. And up to this point, he has already played. Let's see, how many are we at here now? Uh, of course, I can't find this. 41. He's already played more, 10, he's already played more games than he did in his last year at Iowa. He's getting, close to I mean he's still about 15 20 away from um, reaching his total games just throughout college in the NBA itself so I, I think it's a big adjustment getting used to the NBA and I think that we're seeing Keegan do just that but um, not so short-winded is coach Brown and I asked coach Brown uh, what he's seen from from Keegan's growth and, and comfort levels both on and off the floor so here's coach Brown on on Keegan's development Coach, how much more comfortable have you seen Keegan grow in the world of the NBA on and off the court? Uh, he, he's he's uh, he's getting comfortable. I mean, it, it you could just see it. He's starting to attack more. 
And when he attacked previous, you know, early in the season, he was shooting a layup, fading away and getting it smack, you know. And now he's starting to understand that I am pretty strong. I am pretty athletic. I do have some quickness. I can score over people. And that evolution is just the beginning of what he can be. Cause we already know he can shoot the three. Most people, they haven't seen a ton of it. His pull-up game is going to be outrageous, I'm telling you, because he's got just such a great touch. But now his ability to get to the rim and finish in traffic is his next step offensively because when he does do that, he's just going to have the defense go like that, and now plays are going to be simply made for for his teammates. And it's going to make the game not only easier for him but easier for the rest of us, which is what we're waiting on. But the evolution is starting to happen right in front of us. Evolution is definitely happening right in front of our eyes. I think that Keegan Murray's been phenomenal as of late. We've seen a couple double-double nights from him when when he had zero rebound nights not that long ago. You know, ends the night tonight with 20 points, eight rebounds. Have a good night, bro. Uh, seven of 11 from the field, five of seven from three. Just phenomenal growth from Keegan Murray, and that's such an important thing for this team. Uh, coach talking about his pull-up game being great as uh, Matt chimes in over there, leader of the Keegan Murray hype train. And and I'm eating my words over here. B minus, I think, is what I gave him. <laughs> the the Kevin John and, and Matt George duo is probably my favorite thing. Their interactions are phenomenal. So definitely tune into all their all their shit. <laughs> Keegan Murray's been great. I, I think the the progress we've seen from him in these last few games is is crazy. Like it, it's just kind of all happened at once, and I, I think that that's been great to see. Like I said, it, it's really defensively. I, I think making those rotations quicker, um, just recognizing them a little bit faster, chasing boards. He talked about before. He kind of thought Domas just had it covered on the defensive glass, and it sounds a little weird, but not when you consider that that's the best rebounder in the league next to him and DeMontis Sabonis, you know? So when that's just how you're thinking about it, sometimes what it takes is a little mindset change and that's what it was for the rebounding. And I think that there's a big adjustment to the physicality. And I think that's what we're seeing in the finishing around the rim, um, as well as some of the defense there as well. So I think it's been huge to see the growth that we have seen from Keegan Murray. That's so big for the future development of this team because this team needs a third star if they want to eventually be, holy shit, championship contenders. What the hell am I talking about right now on a Sacramento Kings podcast? We're still far away from that, very far away from that. But they need a third star before we can even begin to have that conversation. And I'm still hesitant to believe that Keegan Murray can be that guy. But more of this, the more I'll believe. The Chris Middleton comp that you hear that we've heard Keegan Murray make um, not comp maybe isn't what he made, but just said that's somebody that he's kind of looked up to um, when it comes to their games. You see that more recently. And I, I think it's just typical rookie growth, but he just looks so much more comfortable out there. And it's been phenomenal to see. The The one other thing I want to touch on today is the bench play. Obviously, Trey Lyles was huge today. Trey Lyles has been huge a lot recently. Pause. Um 16 and what was it 15 and 6 in the fourth quarter of the second game against the Houston Rockets 
Trey Lyles has come into the rotation and stayed there. And Coach talked about that. But since coming into the rotation right around, let's see, the last 15 games, right? Trey Lyles has played 17 games in a row. But those first two, he he played less than 10 minutes in all of those. Um, Since then, this actually does not count tonight's game. So maybe I can actually pull this up where I get the last uh, 15 if I am including tonight's game. Ah, well, we'll play with this later. So not including tonight's game, the last 15 games for Trey Lyles, he has played at least 10 minutes in every game except one. And he's averaging... 18.7 18.7 minutes, 9 points, 5.3 rebounds, 1.3 of those being offensive. And that's on 53% from the field, 39.5% from three, and 81% from the free throw line. There was a time earlier this year where Coach Brown was talking about how he kind of feels like there's, you know, two guys off the bench that he knows he's going to get production from night in and night out. And then after that, it's a little bit of a question mark, and those two guys being Davion Mitchell and Malik Monk. And uh, we'll get to Malik in a little bit here. Malik, I have a really interesting takeaway on from these last couple of days of conversations with with people at practices, shoot-around, post-game, pre-game, things like that. Um, but Trey Lyles has solidified himself as part of this rotation. And kind of hilarious to think Trey Lyles is the only thing left from the Marvin Bagley pick. And he's just straight up better than Marvin Bagley as a player right now. Um, he is an expiring contract. It'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Um, but when he's playing like this, he's playing himself into a nice contract. Um, losing 15 pounds prior to the start of the season, I think has been big for his just in enabling this performance, which is something he talked about post game today. You know, he's just not getting tired out there. And probably helps that it's a contract year and motivates you a little bit more to go and do that, right? But Trey has been phenomenal um, these last couple of games. And just having that solidified eighth man and eight man rotation is is really important in my mind. Um, helps the other guys get some rest. Like after HB and Keegan, who I highlighted prior to this, it was like, okay, who are your wings forwards? And I, I think that that was a little bit of a question. And right now it's been Trey. Um, We'll start with Trey himself talking about his his defensive impact because I thought he was phenomenal on that end tonight. You know, if you just want to look at the basic numbers, um, you get two steals, you get where block shots, three blocks. He drew a charge. There were plenty of deflections. They're always highlighting defensive rebounds. He had six defensive rebounds tonight. He did it all in 25 minutes. Trey Lyles is part of the closing lineup and added every. Um, he deserved to be. So here's uh, first Trey himself talking about his defensive impact tonight and what was working for him, and then we'll get to Coach's thoughts on Trey as well. And by the way, in the comments, let me know what you think about uh, running all these audio clips because I know today's episode is heavy on that, but like I said at the beginning, I, I thought that it was fitting, and, and there were, to me, a lot of takeaways from these. So here's Trey, uh, but let me know your thoughts. Beginning of the training camp, when you walked in, you know, a few pounds lighter, uh, it's paying off, huh? Yeah, you know, being able to run around a little, a little faster and make, make more moves uh, offensively, defensively, and just not getting tired. So, um, yeah, it helped out a lot. 
Yeah, Trey, big defensive night for you. Blocks, steals, deflection, drawing charges. Just what do you make of your performance on that end? Uh, just being active, being in the right spots, um, you know, doing what we do every day in practice, all the drills that we run, and just trying to go out there and, and help the team on the defensive end. Like I said, the coach is a defensive coach, so I know that if I play defense, it's, it's likely I'm going to play a little bit more, so i got to be out there and, and keep my head on the swivel and, and active. Coach is a defensive coach, so I know if I play defense, I'm going to get out there more. That is a credit to coach for demanding that and making his players understand the importance of that. That is also credit deserved to Trey Lyles for believing that and just taking that to heart, like capitalizing on that, because we've clearly seen Trey do just that. And who would have thought that Trey Lyles would be one of the better defensive players uh, on a Sacramento Kings team on any given night. Um, apparently, it doesn't really surprise Coach Brown, though. Here's here's Coach Brown talking about what Trey meant on the defensive end of the floor tonight and just the stretch that he's been on. You, you've talked about the, the second unit and what they need to do defensively. Trey, tonight specifically with with the three blocks, I know you don't love blocks, but the, but the two steals, just what kind of impact did, did his performance on the defensive end have on the second unit tonight? I, you know, it's huge. He, Trey's 6'9". Not only that, he's, he's a big guy. He's an experienced guy, and uh, he's got a tremendous feel. And his team defensive instincts within our scheme uh, can help us get to the next level. And, and, you know, people in the past might say, oh, no, he's not a great thing. No, if, if you guard the, if you guard like you're supposed to guard in this, in this league, which is my opinion is five guys have to guard the basketball and you have five trays, you can be a pretty good defensive team because you're going to, he's going to bust his behind. He's going to use his length. He's not afraid to get hit in the nose. He's going to try to rebound and he's going to get out and run. And all those things get contagious. And so we need his presence because he's not afraid, because he has a great feel, because he's going to play so hard, because he's going to try to finish the play with a rebound. And, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> we got guys starting to fall in line that same way, but that's why you know, I, I started playing him, you know, I don't know, a month ago, and he hadn't come out because he's doing those little things. And sometimes he's not shooting the ball well, but he's still doing those little things that don't always add up in the stat sheet. And we need that. We need that every night. Coach saying that if we if we had Trey, five Trey Lyles out there, I think we'd be fine defensively is a pretty wild quote. But I understand his point that – it's Trey has enough size, he strength, um, and, and just defensive understanding that if he's giving all out effort and following their defensive game plan and, and sticking with their five staples on the defensive end, which see if I can do this off the top of my head, but, um, multiple efforts, communication, uh, no middle. Damn, I am tired y'all. Um, no middle. I, I can do this, I swear. I might give up. Being physical without fouling. And there's one more that I'm not remembering right now. But Trey has been phenomenal at just embracing what they're asking him to do on the defensive end. And and Coach talking about Trey, I think, goes beyond just Trey Lyles. I, I think that what he said um, is something that holds true for probably how he feels about everybody on this team, that Nobody has like any 
crazy physical limitations that make them forced to be bad defenders. You know, maybe they're not going to be great, but you shouldn't be a liability out there. And I don't think the coach will allow anybody to be. And that's very much what we've seen. Um, as Matt George, I don't even know if he's out the building yet and already commenting on YouTube. Um, Alex Figs, shout out Alex, by the way, um, says that Kendrick Perkins tweeted, quote, the Kings are the most exciting team in the league. This young group can play some beautiful, expiring basketball. And of course, in Kendrick Perkins fashion, signs it with carry the hell on dot, dot, dot. The national recognition the Kings are getting is something that I'm still getting used to. And uh, it's just a little uncomfortable, but it's warranted, man. And I think that we're going to see that continue to happen as this team keeps it up. So huge night from Trey Lyles and just him becoming a staple in this rotation is so important. I think I forget where I said this the other day, but got asked like if the playoffs started today, would Trey Lyles be part of the playoff rotation? And I was kind of like, yeah, I don't think so. I was wrong for sure. Right now he would be part of that playoff rotation. What his minutes would be. I don't know, but I, I think that Trey absolutely would be a part of that right now. There's nights where he's closing for this team. And that was tonight. Um, so I, I think that Trey has been phenomenal. And again, credit to the not only the coaching staff, but also the players for responding to what the coaching staff has been asking of them. Um, last up is Malik Monk, who had a good night tonight with 13 points. Let's see, eight assists, nine rebounds. He was flirting with a triple-double. There was a point that Hunter Patterson, who works, which, by the way, people need to follow Hunter Patterson on Twitter. He, he works for The Athletic and has been covering the Sacramento Kings throughout the course of this year. That's at Hunt Patterson underscore on Twitter. And one of my favorite people to interact with here at games um, pointed out a moment where Malik Monk was maybe telling, it looked like telling Domas that, damn, I'm really close to my triple-double. And I don't think that ended up happening, obviously. Um, Alex, you ask about Holmes. I am going to get to Holmes here as well, actually. Actually, I'll just do that real quick. I don't, I don't actually have any quotes on Holmes. But so before I get to Malik, that'll take a little bit longer. Um, I think Holmes has been great, man. He had that game that he started while Domas was out uh, with a non-COVID-related illness against the Los Angeles Lakers. And Holmes had a big night. You know, I, I think he played well tonight. Chemezi Metu, by the way, is fine after his pretty scary I don't know if non-contact is the right word for his injury, but it was pretty close to non-contact where he kind of just planted his leg wrong and his knee buckled, fell to the floor, holding his knee. Like that's a scary sight. And for it to come out that we saw him at shoot around this morning looking fine. Um, and he was questionable for tonight's game, game time decision. Great sign for Chemezi Metu, who has kind of solidified himself as the backup center here and had his moments of, of being really solid for this team, even if maybe it has been a little bit up and down at times. But I, I think that that said that Metsu has been a big part of this team. But then when he goes down, the next guy has to step up. And that was Rashawn Holmes. And this is another guy that is someone to keep an eye on at the trade deadline. You know, I don't know how many people are going to be willing to be blunt to take on Rashawn Holmes. What is it? Three years, 30 three third somewhere between 33 36 million remaining in that last year is a player option that will absolutely get picked up for somewhere around 11 12 million um but i think that teams are seeing a little bit and so are we obviously that like Holmes, Rashawn is still Rashawn. he still 
is going to give you all out energy on the offensive end. I, I think that he's somebody that appreciates getting in a rhythm. And I, I think that that's important. But I think that if you still go out and run a lot of pick and roll with Rashawn Holmes, you still have that same efficient guy on the offensive end. You still have just an absolute dog defensively um, and, and just all around. Like the effort is infectious that Rashawn Holmes brings. And defensively, maybe he fouls more than you would like. But I, I think that there is some bit of switchability there with Rashawn that you also saw in that LA game. Coach talked about, you know, getting him to work on the angles of his screens a little bit more. And Rashawn likes to slip a lot of screens, hoping to get that ball. But I, I think just staying planted and making sure that the defender is running into your chest and being on the same page with the ball handler, you're setting that for like teams are saying Rashawn is still Rashawn. And it's great to see that guy to be honest, still exist because I questioned so much throughout the course of this year if he did, and it was hard not to, but he's still absolutely there, and I think that that's been important. So moving on to Malik, though, like I said, Malik had a big night, borderline triple-double, but he's been struggling recently, man, like really bad. Someone talked about, like, forget earlier this year, like, oh, Malik Monk never has two bad games in a row. What about, like, 10? Because Malik had been bad, man. If we go back to let's see how far back I want to go let's just look at January for Malik Monk Malik Monk in the month of January and this does include tonight's game is averaging 18.9 minutes 9.1 points 3.5 rebounds 4.1 assists but 1.5 turnovers on get this 34.3 percent from the field and 26 percent from three that's on four and a half attempts per game He's been tough. Um, he still does his playmaking when he's out there. Coach had a hilarious quote that I'll get to here in a second. I promise it's the last quote that I'm playing of the day. Um, that, you know, he's nervous every time Malik has the ball in his hands, somewhat jokingly. But Malik also has this just electric play style that sometimes is going to come back to bite you, but other times is going to hype up the entire stadium your team and just totally get you going. And I, I think that we saw that tonight, but there's something we've heard a handful of times the last couple of days. We heard coach talk about this. I think at a practice, I believe it was, I could be wrong about when that is. That might've been pregame um, prior to the Philly game or maybe post game, but he just talked about how it's important that he stays in the gym and that by itself stood out to me, but I wasn't sure if I was kind of reading too much into it. But then we get De'Aaron Fox at shoot around today. And when De'Aaron Fox is asked about Malik Monk's recent struggles, the first thing he starts with is that it's important for Malik to stay in the gym. And that was the full comment on that before he went to, you know, sometimes guys are going to miss shots uh, up and down, blah, blah, blah. Right. But very first comment was it's important to stay in the gym. And I'm like, OK, that's the second time we're hearing that. And then. Post game tonight, when you hear it a third time in a couple of days, it's like, okay, this isn't a coincidence anymore. I'm not reading too much between the lines or anything. Coach made it. Co coach's comments on Malik, I thought were were interesting. So here's what a uh, coach had to say about Malik Monk's recent play. 
seem like you're bothered when he, when Malik, that is, when he's, when he's missing shots. Um, where is it that you, you know, you mentioned obviously the, the, the ball in his hands, but what gives you the most concern when maybe the shots aren't falling for him and how it possibly affects him? Well, so the first thing is if he's missing shots, <clears throat> I'm okay with it as long as he's going in to get extra work. Cause it's, and then to me, that's showing that he's focused. Cause not everybody's going to make shots throughout the course of the year. It's a long season, a lot of up and down. And so as long as he or anybody else is missing shots, is getting extra work on top of the work that we already do, I can ride with him a little bit, you know. But you also still have to do your job in other areas. You can't turn the ball over. You have to box out. You have to defend the ball. You have to have the understand what your responsibility is on at all times defensively. You got to get to the corner. You know, <clears throat> there are things that he has to do, no matter if he's making shots or not. And he'll have some leeway uh, if he's not making shots, like I said, as long as he's getting extra shots on his own and he's still doing the other things. But he's made plays for us all year. He's been big for us all year. So it's going to take some time for me to decide to go in the opposite direction with him uh, because he's helped us win a lot of ball games the right way, and he's shown that he's more than capable like like tonight. If Coach needs to, he's going to go in the opposite direction, but it's not going to be quick, right? Malik has shown inability to be an impact player for this. And I think the key word there that maybe I didn't emphasize enough leading into that is, is extra work. It's not like Malik is fucking around in practice and and not being impactful or locked in in practice or anything. That's not the impression I get from that. It's about coming in and and doing extra stuff individually when you're struggling. I, I think that that means a lot to, to coach understandably. So, and that, and then also he talked about doing your job in other areas where turnovers had been an issue for Malik Monk. Um, he's a, he's a good passer, but sometimes he can be a little bit erratic. You know, we've talked about these dump off passes to guys in the dunker spot where if you're just kind of lightly um, passing it there and kind of these scoop passes, those are going to get swatted. Those, those don't work in the NBA more often than not. And um, just doing the little things, Coach mentioned boxing out, keeping your guy in in front of you at least like make them change direction once or twice don't let them get middle is one of the big things for this team right um and then rotating properly from there making sure that you're boxing out um malik coach said that he lit into malik about and a handful of other guys but he mentioned malik specifically um when it came to rebounding in that last game against the philadelphia 76ers coach was very clear that that rebounding game wasn't on the bigs that was on the guards because the bigs are getting engaged defensively in that pick and roll. And that leaves the opposing big kind of free to crash. And that means that the other weak side defender on Sacramento's side needs to um, shrink in there and make sure to box out. And everybody needs to make sure to secure that board. And I think that, you know, maybe there's moments that Malik Monk wasn't great about doing that throughout the course of these last few games. And Malik's not the only one, but, I think we have heard Malik be called out as of late and uh, that coach would like to see him do some extra work and just make sure you're getting it done in other areas. Absolutely happened tonight. Absolutely happened tonight. So that's great for Malik. Um, 13 points, like I said, eight assists, nine rebounds, seven of those being defensive, two offensive, um, and just not doing too much, you know, but it's telling, man. I mean, look at these last few games, like 
Um, tonight, Malik did play a lot. He had 23 minutes, and then he had 20 in that game against Philly. But prior to that, 15 against OKC, uh, 10 and a half against the Lakers, just under 15 against San Antonio, 15 against Houston. Like Malik had been struggling, and coach needed more from him. So I, I think that that's important to note. Um, and, and I just thought it's interesting that Malik had kind of been getting called out in that way. So hopefully he, he hears that and gets in the gym a little bit more when he's going through these struggles and just make sure that he can, there's, you can't be consistent when it comes to shooting the ball in the NBA, to be honest, like sometimes shots are not going to fall, but there are aspects that you can do consistently. And a lot of that is just the little things. That's what coach is always preaching. And and I think that we've seen Malik waver a little bit on that recently, but tonight was another step in the right direction. And hopefully that can continue from there because while I talk about the importance of Trey Lyles emerging as a reliable member of the rotation, another guy falling out of that and becoming unreliable would kind of nullify that. Um, and I don't think we're seeing that with Malik, right? But that was more so what it was leaning towards rather than him becoming somebody that made it a tough decision of like who you're going to close when the beginning of the year, the closing lineup was De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, Kevin Herter, Harrison Barnes, and Demonis Sabonis. So um, I think it's important that we saw Malik get a little bit back on track tonight and hopefully that can keep up for this team moving forward. If anybody in the chat has any questions they want to throw my way before I, before I get out of here um, now would be the time to do so, but it's going to be interesting to see how the Kings continue to, to move forward from here. I, I think this next game they have against the Toronto Raptors is going to be a good test. I thought that last game was a super chippy one. If you'll remember, that's the game that Mike Brown got ejected. Jordy Fernandez stepped in um, and the Kings were not able to come away with that victory. Why am I questioning that? They did win that game. They won that game by one. That's why I'm questioning it. Um, but I thought that was a super chippy game. Toronto has a lot of length and versatility that I think can give the Kings problems at times. So that'll be interesting to see how they're able to navigate that before they go on a seven-game road trip. And we have three home games in the month of January. So February is going to be a big stretch for this team. Um, have I discussed the Lakers trade? I have not, actually. And the plan is that I'll record post game after that Toronto game here live, but then also pro earlier in that day, I'll, um, I have something scheduled with somebody who covers a, another team. I don't want to say too much because you never know when things can fall through, but ideally I'll be able to talk to somebody that covers a team that I think the Kings, um, you know, could have some conversations with. I, I think there's teams that make sense, but when it comes to that Rui Hachimura trade, um, I thought that the value was interesting, right? And it's it's intriguing. The trade was Rui Hachimura, who's 24 years old, about to be 25 on uh, February 8th and going into restricted free agency on a Washington team that already needs to pay uh, Kyle Kuzma. And it seems like that's what they're leaning towards planning on doing. And they're already paying... Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis. So writing was kind of on the wall for Rui Hachimura, excuse me, but got traded to the Los Angeles Lakers for 27-year-old expiring Kendrick Nunn, a Chicago 2023 second-round pick, which is currently sitting at 39th, uh, LA's own 2029 second-round pick, and then LA actually owned Washington's 2028 second-round pick. So the third second-round pick in that trade is the worst of LA or Washington's 2028 second round pick. It's really not a lot 
for a guy like Rui Hachimura. I don't know exactly how to feel about Rui. I'm admittedly a lot more comfortable speaking on and I feel like educated on guys in the Western Conference, but obviously they're scoring upside with Rui. Um, defensively, still kind of TBD, figuring out what his most ideal position is. But I think that this is interesting. You know, I, I think that this is the type of deal we could see the Kings make, in my mind. A salary match and a couple second round picks. And the Kings have second round picks they're working with. You know, they have, um, in, they have all of their own second round picks up until 2029. So that right there, um, is a 2023, 2024, 2025, 2026, 27, 28, 29. Sorry, I'm horrible at math. So just doing this on my fingers. Seven of their own second round picks right there. And then they also have Indiana's 2023 second round pick. They have Dallas's 2024 second round pick. Portland's 2025 second round pick, which might be a sneaky good one. And Dallas's 2028 uh, second round pick as well. Um, worth noting, actually, because I, I did say the Kings have all their own seconds, that they actually can't trade their 2026 or 2027 second round picks. Because if you look at that Kevin Herter trade, um, the very w- last way that it could convert into would be that if it didn't convert for whatever reason in 2026, if that top 10 protection still ended up, uh, the pick still ended up landing in that range, it would turn into Sacramento's own 2026 and 2027 second round picks. So that won't happen, but just because of how that's set up, they technically cannot trade those picks. But I I think that's the type of deal that we could see Sacramento um, possibly making. Uh, Alex, that answers your question there as well. Um, I, I think something like that is, is kind of interesting. Um, how loud would Golden One Center have been if KZ would have landed that dunk off the spicy ass PJ pass? I'm not going to lie, Meg. I already went down to the post game presser to get all my shit set up by the time that pass happened. So I'm going to have to watch that back. Doug McDermott. That is interesting. I think Doug McDermott does make upwards of $10 million and that's the complication there is what would the matching salary be? But I do think that McDermott is interesting, somebody that has played with DeMontis Sabonis, a 40% three-point shooter, a smart player overall. I know Kevin Herter mentioned on the Low Post podcast that he shares an agent with uh, with Doug McDermott, and then when he was traded to Sacramento, that Kevin actually talked to Doug about what it's like to play with Domas, and he just said, you're going to love it. And I, I think that, um, that says a lot. Doug McDermott is a type of guy that I think is interesting to me. Um, I'm shocked that Hector saying Mark Stein said that people are monitoring Rashawn Holmes as a potential buyout candidate. Um, I'm not well enough educated on this, but I feel like it'd be pretty shocking if the Kings bought out a guy that had three years, 30, I should really know what this is, three years, 36.1 million remaining on his deal. Um, I, I feel like it's very rare that you see that happen. Um, that's all I got guys. I'm going to get out of here, uh, pretty late here, still hanging out in golden one center. I appreciate everybody that hopped in here and thank you to everybody that listens or watches the show as always. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that buyout thing that, that doesn't sound right to me. Um, but admittedly one of the aspects of, of the league that I'm not well enough educated on yet. So I'll try to brush up on that and check in again with me this next episode here for sure. Um, but like I said, I really appreciate everybody that that supports and enjoys the content. I'm glad to be doing it. it means the world to me that that I fucking get to be in Golden One Center at 12:30 or 
what time yeah 12 30 a.m like this is this is amazing to me so it, it's much love to to everybody in here and much love to everybody at the king's herald who played a big part in, in me getting to this point and obviously check out all of their work from the great guys and gals there that i've become good friends with um, take a look at their patreon to support local independent king's coverage and if you enjoyed this episode of the king's pulse podcast please subscribe rate and review and you'll hear from me again in the next couple days